0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Tommy Tiernan podcast. I don't like working. Um, Getting cold and stuff like that, I don't mind. I fucking hate the dishwasher. Uh, I don't mind bringing in bags from the car. Or carrying a load of towels upstairs. I hate folding shit. Um, I like washing dishes in the sink, but we're not allowed well we have to in our house we have to wash the dishes before we put them into the dishwasher you know it's like cleaning your clothes before you send them to the laundry or masturbating before you have a ride anyway um i don't know if it's laziness or what but I, i ought to thank god for my nature i do thank god for my nature there's a fantastic bit in the Gospels where um, Jesus is sending the Apostles out uh, to preach the good news. The good news being that we are loved and it is a compassionate universe. Um, and they're asking him for advice, you know, like, uh, well, what do we say? Like, <laughs> you know, let's wander off to Persia, or to Rajasthan and Iraq. Just The 12 of us, but Um, We'll split up But but what do we say when we get there And Jesus says Look uh, Just don't prepare anything He said Um, Don't worry about what you're going to say Just head off with uh, a stick uh, One cloak One pair of sandals And Trust that the Holy Spirit Will guide your mouth and your mind when you're addressing the crowd so he's kind of sending them off to improvise really play has always been more interesting to me than work it's why i'm i'm gonna stop acting i think i find acting too fucking hard i'm always trying to get it right now when i'm on set doing uh, a film or been in a sitcom or something. I love go after go after go of it. I could stay there all day, take 357 action. I fucking love that. Just changing inflections, working out the rhythm, trying to just nail it. But the overriding thing for me in acting is about trying to get it right. And when you're trying to get it right, you're not playing. It's why I gave up poker. Poker was a I loved it for a little while, but the fucking pressure of it—trying to, to do the right thing—my, I, I, mean, yeah, I, I had to give it up anyway. So for me, it's all about playing. And I watched a interview with Billy Connolly recently. It's why I much prefer stand up, apart from the the adrenaline hit of stand up compared to the adrenaline hit of acting. I mean, it's like comparing heroin with tea. But. Billy Connolly said recently that um, what he liked to do was he'd have a a few stories and he'd change the order of the stories. He'd say, well, if I tell the story about the tramp first, um, I told it last yesterday, but I'll tell it first tonight and then I'll try to get to the story about the train tracks. And from there, I'll see if I can get to the story about the yoga instructor. And he would deliberately... Unorganize himself so that in the attempt the, the adrenaline of being in front of a crowd and the, the focus that 2000 people staring at you gives your mind would create the material in between the stories which would themselves then grow into other stories I've tried that now and that, that doesn't work for me thank God because we have one Billy Connolly there's no point in having a few of them Each of us has to be unique. There's no point in trying to be like other people. That's a futile exercise. You weren't put here to be the same. Which is why I don't like monasteries. But we might get back to that later. Um, So for me, when I cobble a set together, the thrill of stand-up for me is, first of all, having confidence in the stories and knowing that you're not... Standing up on stage with dregs and nearlies, um, and what I like to do is walk out and to not know what story I'm going to tell when, and just to trust that the that whatever story I feel like telling next is the right one. Um. And that for me is the way I I play, and it's it's um, it's wonderful. And when a story gets nailed, like you're hoping every night to be adding to stuff and to be breathing easy, and to be creative. But the joy for me then, once a story becomes solid, and you know the each word and the rhythm of it and you know if you pause and then bang and then there's a laugh and the joy for me then is is playing with the rhythm of it it's just changing up the style of the way you might say it and wondering is it still funny if you speed it up or slow it the fuck down and just and I love that I've tried improvising full length shows like going out and and not using anything I've ever Said before, and I wasn't able to do it really. I mean, it not in a way that an audience consistently enjoyed. I had some fucking wild nights doing it. I mean, pure joy and walking off stage f- and leaving it behind me and going, That's my work done for the evening, and I'll, I'll, it made me feel like an artist. There it is, done now and left, moving on. I'm not going to be reshaping or rehashing the same ideas tomorrow night. Just, I flung it out and whatever particular way the stars were aligned that evening in my brain, it flew. But there were other nights then, Jesus, I was... It was psychiatric stuff, like I was just fucking howling like a legless dog at the moon. It was... Tough country. Recently, I've been listening, very recently as in yesterday. I Oops, bang my face off the microphone. Because I'm talking with my eyes closed. Like <laughs> I'm not sure where the mic is. Um, I've started listening to uh, Hindu music. What is a Hindu? Lay eggs. I, because it's... These things called ragas. Now you're probably very familiar with them, but what it is, it there's a kind of a beat set up, not a complicated one at all, or just some sort of a drone on what sounds like the Indian equivalent of a of an accordion, and then the singer just improvises. And I I wouldn't be fluent in Indian now. Um, it doesn't sound like they're making words. It just. The singers, they improvise. They improvise around the drone for an hour, an hour and a half. And it's fucking, it's unbelievable. It just, I found my new thing. Now, WB Yeats, the publican, <laughs> he has a place there on just outside Tupper Curry. He once said, Before the Battle of the Boyne, Ireland belonged to Asia. And I don't know what he meant by that. But I can see the connection between Hinduism and Catholicism. Hinduism is all about elephants and flowers and women and as many gods as you can think of and rituals for everything. A ritual for leaving the house. A ritual for changing direction. A ritual for making tea and going to sleep and going to the toilet and kissing your wife and punching a child everything has and Catholicism is like that we've so many saints and we've so many the saint of this and the saint of that and they're from every part of the globe the Greeks the Syrians the Egyptians the Irish the Scots the Welsh so many it's such Catholicism is such a fucking colourful religion Um, and it suits my Catholic temperament. The excesses of Hinduism seem to sit very well with the flowery, ornate nature of Catholicism. But in Irish Catholicism anyway, even though no singing sounds an awful lot like Hindu Raga improvisations, there's a some sort of a there's, they're definitely cousins-like. There's uh, kindred spirits. We don't have the tradition in Ireland, and we could have so easily. I must fucking start it. Of, say, an accordion player, and he's just in the box in and out, and slow note changes. And then a caro woman, or a girl from Carna. Or a man from Letterfrack. Shan Nosen, (laughs) For fucking days. This improvised weaving of sounds. One of the things I discovered about doing... Improvised work, um, totally improvised work, is that it's it's not a product really. It's not something that you can sell because you can't guarantee the audience anything. Years ago, when I worked um, in a theatre company in Galway called Punchbag, there was this there was a guerrilla troupe of performers from Dublin, wild, talented intensely committed performers. You know the fucking type. Anyway, they came down to do three nights in the Punchbag Theatre. It's now a pub. Well, it's not a pub, but it was a pub. And they were going to improvise the show each night. Now, the thing about improvisation is that it makes sense. It's not the jangling together of ragged thoughts, like a cubist masterpiece it's there's a fluency to improvisation because you go from one idea to the next. Improvisation is bad or boring when the speaker and the audience, where the performer and the crowd are on the same page, because then the audience's mind is moving in tandem with the performer's mind and they're both reaching the same conclusions at the same time and it's not interesting because you need the performer to be 378920 beats ahead ahead but on the same road so the first night that these fantabulous people from Dublin came down to do the improvised show it was fucking tremendous well i couldn't tell you what happened other than that, I sat there fucking enthralled by them. Just it was a nonlinear masterpiece of instinct and movement, and there was no talking. That was one of the rules. So, and these weren't trained mime artists or nothing. They were just how the fuck they were doing, but it was tremendous. There was twelve of them on the stage, and. <laughs> Ten of us in the crowd, you know, they weren't going to pay a mortgage, They're, a mortgage weren't even going to pay their fucking, they'd be doing well to get the prices of a pint of it afterwards like. And I went to see them the following night and it was a disaster because you have to kind of go with whatever instinct comes up. You can't guarantee the audience that this is going to be brilliant you just have to say, if you feel like taking a chance, come on in and, and have a look at this. What can happen to certain performers is that they lose their love of the audience. And you could suggest maybe that this is what happened to someone like John Coltrane. Now, I don't know this for sure, but I'm only suggesting it to you now. So Coltrane is able to play these beautiful ballads. Coltrane is able to play these beautiful explorations in music where there's a the drone of the tune is set up and then they fucking fly. They fly for 64 bars and then they come back to the band again and the fucking bass player flies for a while and then he comes back and the jazz, I've tried, it's not really my thing. I mean, I like the idea of it more often than the actuality of it. It, it can squawk and squeal, and I, my ear isn't tuned properly to it. And then Coltrane was developing not only musically, but also spiritually. And he ended up in a place, the last few albums are, fuck, they're just, he's screaming, basically, screaming through the saxophone, and to him, what he talked about was, it said he said it's the music of the spheres. He says this is interplanetary cosmic fucking jazz, and you can see how when an artist stays restless, that he when he keeps at at some stage he's been honest to himself, but it's fucking hard listening to the audience. They say that it may be what happened to James Joyce. James Joyce wrote this fucking phenomenal. Ulysses, every thought that any man, woman, baboon or child ever fucking had was put into the 800 pages of Ulysses. And it was the first time ever where a kind of half a map of the conscious mind, the constant chatter of the human head was put down on the page where he veered away from plot in the sense of adventure and twists and it became an ordinary day but no day is ordinary inside the mind of any man, woman baboon or child because of the flood of thoughts and sentences and phrases and instinct and feeling and they say with a lot of art you know and stand-up is no different is that it peaks near the beginning and the rest is derivative so I can say to you that a particular type of stand-up comedy peaked in America in the 50s and the 60s and after that it's been fucking downhill everything after that is an imitation I can say that stand-up in Europe, what I really mean is just Ireland and, and Britain, It that it peaked with Billy Connolly. That, I mean, that's the height of it, like, in the 70s and 80s, and after that then, it just became a pale imitation. Everything, rock and roll, peaked in the fucking 60s. Maybe heavy metal peaked in the fucking 70s. Everything after that is just a fucking imitation. So with James Joyce... Literature peaked in 19, was it, who knows, 1922, I think it was published. And after that, then, everything is just a pale imitation of Ulysses. And even Joyce himself wasn't able to repeat it. First of all, he was a restless artist. There was no fucking point in repeating it. What he did then someone said to me recently a stranger just dropped me in the street and said I'll, will I tell you about fucking James Joyce it, it was M- Martin Amis Joe Martin fucking, I, I love his writing but he said that what happened to Joyce was that Joyce he fell out of love with the reader and committed terribly wholeheartedly utterly and completely to sentences. He fell in love with words to the exclusion of the reader which is why a lot of people find Finnegan's Wake That I mean he was 17 fucking years working on it. 17 day after day relentless writing and digging. He must have been wrecked. He got so caught up in the writing of Finnegan's Wake that he became almost, I don't know if he was joking when he said this now, but he said that World War II started deliberately as a way of deflecting attention from Finnegan's Wake. I mean, that's how fucking myopic the man became. So, improvisation, I don't think, is a a product. So you can't sell it. And all of us are improvising all the time, you know. Our lives are divided into improvisation and ritual. Ritual is when you do the exact same thing over and over and over again the ritual of dinner the ritual of pissing you know the ritual of saying hello to people making love is a ritual I don't think and what what you do is you surrender to the familiar when you're if you've been making love to the same person for a long time you just let yourself go and you get great comfort and joy from the familiar you know, I don't think that uh, sex is really conducive to improvisation, I think if each time yourself and your partner went at it and you were sort of improvising I mean you could end up in some fairly frightful country, do you know it wouldn't be long before one of you was, you know said ouch stop (laughs) you know um, the absolute aliveness though of improvisation in those parts of our lives that's why when you see someone coming down the street and you avoid them you avoid them because you already have a sense of what the conversation is going to be about and it it's not good You know, it's not good because it's predictable. And sometimes you're just not in the headspace for that particular predictability. The Hindu lady that I've been listening to recently, to me, she's like, like the Virgin Mary I've always had a curiosity about how to approach the sacred feminine if the reason even is such a thing how do you worship female energy why would you want to but if you're inclined to think about these things is there a goddess that you could give thanks to and honour in the same way there's the male energy of Christ of bulls and rugged mountains is there a female energy that you can receive nourishment from not in the embodiment of an actual person because you can't transfer the responsibility for the divine onto human shoulders you know rivers are women and some rivers have hips but this lady this Hindu lady her name is Kaushuki Chakrabarti. I think that's how you spell it and she's a wonder and she's Catholic Catholic in the sense that I think the original meaning of Catholic was something that includes everything so she wasn't She's not Catholic in the ecumenical sense of the word. You know, she's Catholic in that she's a Hindu lady, but her singing for me includes everything. Kaushuki Chakramarti. And if you're looking for an equivalent male energy to swing into, could I suggest you look up Pandit Vimsen Joshi? I think that's how you say it and I find them transcendent. The Virgin Mary is an Indian raga singer. See you next time. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Selling a little or a lot?